It was July 1995, and it was the anniversary, one of the big anniversaries of the end of the Second World War. And a whole fleetage had assembled in the Channel, American, British, all sorts, to give salute to the Queen, to the American President, and to celebrate the veterans. And as the, the flotilla dispersed, the flag carrier of the day, the American ship, which actually was called the USS Enterprise, was sailing up the Channel. And as she was sailing up the channel, on her radar screen, this blip appeared. Now, bear in mind that the USS Enterprise was a big aircraft carrier. It was the pride of the fleet. And this blip was sailing right at her. So the captain decided to get in his radio and said to unidentified blip bearing down upon us, could you please alter your course? So the blip popped up and said, with respects to USS Enterprise, we cannot alter our course. Would you alter your course? Now, as we're all human, the captain of the ship had a wee twinge of pride. And he said, well, this is the biggest ship in the American fleet. I'm not altering course. They can alter course. They're a wee blip. So he got back on the radio and said, with respects to unidentified blip, this is the captain of the USS Enterprise. And the guy laughed. But this is the captain of the USS Enterprise. We are a large aircraft carrier on a mission from the American president. Could you please move your course? So this went on for a wee bit until finally the captain lost his rag and said, get out of my way. And the blip came back and said, with respects to the captain of the USS Enterprise, this is the Isle of Wight Lighthouse. Could you please get out of our way? <laughs> and in that story, we can all identify with it, can't we? When we're disputing with someone or when we're, we're arguing a point, sometimes pride does get the better of us, doesn't it? We can all say, yes, I, I can be like that too. But imagine had he not listened the destruction that would have happened had he crashed into the Isle of Light White House. Pride can be blinding. It can be dangerous. And then we build our preconceptions and our notions around our pride to prove that we're right and others are wrong. Then we blind ourselves. We put that towel across our eyes and we cannot see. And I think today's reading is so beautiful and also so tragic. As we see the blindness, the pride of the Pharisees as they refuse to alter course as they refuse to change direction, as they refuse to admit that actually they might have got it wrong. And in refusing to do that, in refusing to change course, they end up crashing up against the Lord himself. This passage is a tragic reminder. Nobody gave like the Pharisees. Nobody prayed outwardly like the Pharisees. Nobody attended church as much as the Pharisees. Nobody studied their Bible as religiously as the Pharisees, and yet they were utterly clueless about the Son of the living God standing before them. Oh, brothers and sisters, my prayer for myself is that I never end up like that. My prayer for myself is that I don't become so proud of my knowledge, so, so proud of, of what we do in studying the Bible and of my theology, that I forget to see right in front of me, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And this here starts in chapter 9, verse 1. Last week, Ben looked at the argument backwards and forwards. The Pharisees were coming at Jesus, and Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He, he clearly proved his divinity. Up to this point in John's gospel, we've had miracle after miracle, sign after sign. Jesus wasn't trying to be awkward about his identity. He was quite clear. Yet they would not listen. And so we come to today. Last week, Jesus identified himself as the light of the world, and now he does a sixth miracle to prove that he is the light of the world. As they're passing by, there's a man who is blind from birth. 
How they know this, we don't know, but he is. This man has never saw anything in his life. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine not being able to see from his birth? Never seeing a sunrise, never seeing a sunset, never seeing his mom and dad, never seeing the crowds around him, destined to life. In those days, there was no social welfare. So this man would have been blind from birth, sitting at the side of the streets, begging. He had to live by his wits. He had to live by other people's charity. There was no security. There was nothing. He was left there. And then the disciples asked this question. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And here, Jesus shows us, actually, we can't assess things like that. Yes, we are all born in sin. We've all been born in rebellion against God, and sin has wrecked its effect upon this world. Wars and rumors of wars, it has damaged all of creation. It has damaged us. Yes, we know that. But we cannot point at this man and say it's because he's a sinner. No. God had a purpose for his life. And God has a purpose for our lives. I'm not going to address the subject of suffering today because it's quite a deep one and it's a very personal one. But let me just give you two points to hang your hat on. Firstly, when we assess suffering, firstly, we must always do it in light of the cross. We must always do it in light of the cross. Every difficult doctrine in the Christian life, every difficult circumstance in the Christian life must be brought back to the cross. Paul says this in Romans, for there God proved his greatest extent of love to the world and that he gave his only son to save us. Does God love us? Look at the cross. Is God good? Look at the cross. Is God just? Look at the cross. Is God working all things together for good according to his purpose, even though the good can sometimes be painful? Look at the cross. Romans 8, 28 tells us that God's purpose for us is not always known to us. We don't know how and why he works through the mess of this world, through the pain of this world, but his purposes do work. He is sovereign, and we know and are assured that his purposes for his people are always good. Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for the good of those who are called by his name. So hang your hat on that, and we will look at the subject again. It's, it'll be done in a question and answer session, because I know when we talk about suffering, a lot of questions come up, but always look to the cross. And here Jesus answered and said, no, this man, it was nothing to do with that. He was born this way so that the works of God might be seen in him. And look at the focus here. Jesus says, do the works of God. Night is coming. Get on with it, guys. I am the light of the world. And then he does this here in verse 6 to 7, the transforming power of God in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a strange miracle, isn't it? How many people have spat on you in your life and thrown mud in your eyes? Not a very nice thing to do, is it? No, if somebody does it, does not when Jesus does it, sorry. But here he does this thing, the transforming power of God. Notice that Jesus, when he does a miracle, he never repeats it. Every miracle is unique. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? He never repeats a miracle. Everyone is unique. I notice too in our Lord's conversations with people, he never repeats a conversation, does he? The teaching's still the same, but he always relates to people in different ways. Why? Because he sees individuals, not crowds. Isn't that amazing? Our God is so fast, so big, so powerful, so mighty. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the moon, the sun, the stars. They spin at the word of his command. Have you ever got a telescope and looked at the night sky? There's more stars up there than sand on the beach. Have you ever counted sand on the beach? If you want to keep your kids busy during the summer, send them out to count the sand on the beach. That'll occupy them for a few hours. All this creation. England, the beauties of the Peak District, 
the beauties of down south, the, the rugged beauties of Scotland, and God's gem of Ireland. <laughs> He's made all this. He's made you and me. Look around this room today. Every one of us is unique. Praise God, says someone. Every one of us is unique. When you think of the power of His creation, that can be quite intimidating, can't it? When you think of the power of His holiness, like, like Isaiah in the temple when he had that vision and the Lord appeared to him, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with His glory. almost seems like we could be crushed by the weight of that. And yet God's transforming power and the gospel is channeled through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, who is truly God, but also truly man. Who are you, O Lord? Who are, my, who are we, O Lord, that you are mindful of us? And yet he is of the individual. The individual who's suffering. The individual at the side of the road who's blind from birth. You, dear friend, this morning who may feel that nobody else has saw you, I can guarantee you from God's word that he sees you. He knows you. And his heart is for you. Regardless of your social, economic background, there's a big word, isn't it? Regardless of anything. And here is transforming power is displayed. Why does he use the mud? Some commentators reckon he uses the mud as a sign of creation. God was the creator. Remember back in Genesis, that powerful scene where the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos of the deep and God makes things? He lifts up the mud, puts it in his eyes, spit. Spit in those days actually had, people thought it had healing powers. So Jesus does these things. He creates this mud. He puts it in his eyes, almost like an act of recreation. And then with echoes of 2 Kings chapter 8, where Nahum is set, or, uh, the, the man is sent to the pool to be given rid of his leprosy, Jesus sends the man to Siloam, and he comes back with his sight he can see. Isn't that amazing? Like, we read these so glibly sometimes in the apostles. Have you ever read an account of something? Have you ever read Minutes? You want some person that likes to read minutes, and I, I love reading minutes of meetings I've been at, and I know the meetings have been interesting. So you maybe go to a meeting, and, and, and you know, they're, they're having a row about the color of the wall, and there's the red camp, and there's the blue camp, and there's the pink camp, and never should the camps meet, and it looks like Belfast in the 70s, and in the minutes it said there was a slight disagreement amongst the people of the color of the wall. John records here, he went, he washed, it's almost like, what was it? Was it Julius Caesar, Vini, Vidi, Vinci, I came, I saw, I conquered? He went, he washed, and now he sees. Now he sees. For the first time in his life, he can see the sunshine. For the first time in his life, he can see people. For the first time in his life, he can see things that you and I take for granted every day. This man can see. Isn't that amazing? The transforming power of God, a sheer miracle of His grace. This man who was born blind, as he says himself, I once was blind, but now I see. Oh, come on, folks. Isn't that amazing? Somebody sort of do, do a minute there and say, yes, that's quite agreeable. <laughs> the transforming power of God in Jesus Christ. A recreative, renewing power that flows out of him into this man and changes the situation, a bruised reed he didn't break, a smoldering wick he did not put out, and sight to the blind, as Isaiah promised, he gave. And this miracle is unique nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in extra-biblical literature has there ever been a miracle where a man who was born blind is given sight, and Jesus does it like that. But it has a cost. The transforming power of God at work in our lives is evident. It is changing. 
It is a real power. God is in the real world with real pain, bringing real salvation, real transformation. And when this transforming power comes to us through Jesus, there's a cost, verse 8 to 23. There's a cost to this gospel. Look here at this scene. This man was a beggar all his life. He lived off people's charity. That's how he survived. And he was probably a very good beggar. When you see him talking to the Pharisees, he's got a bit of a sharp tongue, doesn't he? It's quite, you know, do you want to be his disciples? So this guy's been begging all his life. He was probably a good beggar. So when he gets his sight back, what's the first thing that suspicious minds are going to think? Oh, he's a fake. He's pretended to be blind his whole life. He, he's taken our money, the, the not very nice man. They're angry. But some say, no, no, that can't be true. He was blind. And so they have this discussion. There, there's division in the neighborhood. And I love this scene. I mean, I meant to sit there when I did the reading. Isn't it great? I mean, <laughs> these guys are having a fight about the guy who's there, and he's pulling their sleeves saying, it's me, it's me. Division in the neighborhood. When Jesus comes into our life, when Jesus brings the transforming power of the gospel, it changes us. It renews us. It makes us different. People see that change. And there's a cost that comes with that because people don't like to see the change of God because to them it proves that God is real. Miracles are uncomfortable things, be it the miracle that God does or the miracle of salvation. Have it, when you became a Christian, when you found the joy of the Lord, did you find that people reacted differently to you? They do. Because you're a living witness of the light and sometimes the light that shines into their life isn't comfortable for them. There's a cost that comes with the transforming power of the gospel. First, it's in his neighborhood as I have this discussion, so they bring him to the Pharisees. Why they brought him to the Pharisees, we don't know. They were kind of the religious consultants of the day, so he gets trailed along to them. It's the Sabbath day. Now, verse 14. Verse 14 is really sad, isn't it? It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Do you know that because Jesus, when he spat in the ground and made the mud, he was doing that thing that we all do with flour, he was kneading. Is that the word for it? I don't bake very well. I like eating it. But. And because he spat in the ground and he was kneading the mud, apparently that broke one of the 39 pharisaical laws for the Sabbath. Thou shalt not knead on the Sabbath. And so that's what they were pulling Jesus up for, for kneading on the Sabbath, for doing a miracle on the Sabbath. Talk about the USS Enterprise crashing into the Isle of Light White House. And so they judge Jesus and they find him wanting again. And they interrogate the man. They get nowhere with him. They have a discussion amongst themselves. They raise some valid points. You know, God does listen to prayer. How can a man who's a sinner do such things? There is division amongst them. The guy said he's a prophet, so they didn't believe him. So they bring in his parents. There's a cost to the gospel in the neighborhood. And there's a cost to the gospel in our family. And I know that some of you guys know this. I know it too. That when we have family who do not know and love the Lord, when they see his transforming power at work in our lives, that can be difficult for them. I'm sure some of you have found that. And I think this scene here is so sad, is it not? This guy has just got... I mean, if you were his mom and dad, would you not rejoice at the fact that your son could see? It's a natural reaction, isn't it? My mom rejoiced at the fact that they could start speaking English. No, <laughs> would you not rejoice at the fact that this guy could see? And yet by fear, pride, they liked their place in the community. They wanted to be part of the synagogue. When it says there later on that there was a ruling established that they'd be cast out of the synagogue, to us that just means that they could be cast out of church, but no, it means they were cast out of the community. 
You'll hear stories and testimonies nowadays of people in Islamic countries when they're transformed by the power of Jesus, their families disown them, they're cast out. Not only do the family disown them, but the whole community does. It's a problem we have for guys who are transformed by the gospel in Islamic countries. How do we provide a comfort network for them when their families kick them out? And even in this country, when somebody gets transformed by the good news of Jesus, perhaps families will push them out. They will see the gospel and they don't want to lose face, they don't want to lose pride, they don't want to, they don't want to be embarrassed. And so these parents before the Pharisees say, oh, well, he is our son. He was born blind, but you talk to him. Don't ask me. Talk to him. It's like kids in the playground almost, isn't it? Who pushed him over? Oh, it wasn't me. Ask him. There's a cost to the gospel, brothers and sisters. But let us not lose sight of the transforming power that it brings. This man could see for the first time in his life. His eyes were opened. And somebody who he at the minute thought was a prophet had set him free. So what do we do with the transforming power of God when the gospel costs? Well, friends, let's do what the song tells us to do. It may be twee, but let's let this little light of ours shine. Do you know that song? This little light of mine. Let it, let it shine. I forgot the rest of it now. <laughs> All I know is Dolly Parton singing it. But anyway, yeah, let's not go down that road. He's brought back again to the Pharisees. And here he is brave. Here he is bold. Here he is joyous. Some commentators in this passage say he's being sarcastic, but I don't think so. It doesn't read like that. Yes, he's being a bit cheeky, but if you just receive sight for the first time in your life, what's your feelings going to be? Happy. Joy. He's happy. And so they bring him back to the Pharisees. They say, this man's a sinner. What's your story? What's your testimony? I once was blind, but now I see. Testimonies are beautiful things, aren't they? individual, aren't they? I love hearing testimonies. Not the testimonies that kind of build people up and then, then, then you'll say, oh, I was such a bad person. But you know, testimonies that talk about God's grace is how he individually redeems us. I love hearing people's stories. That's this man's testimony so far. That he was blind, but now he sees. And notice too how John, John's symbolic in these passages. John uses symbolism. And notice how as this man's light increases in his life, both through sight, but also his knowledge of Jesus. Look at the passage here. Jesus has gone from being prophet to a man who's sent by God. He's growing in knowledge. His light of Jesus is getting brighter and brighter, while the Pharisees are getting darker and darker and darker. You cannot stay still in the Christian life. You cannot stay still in the Christian life. When the gospel is preached, when the word of God goes out about Jesus, you're given a choice every week, every day. Will you respond or will you reject him? And by sitting in the fence, you're still making a choice. As Elijah set up that mountain with the prophets, either be for God or be for Baal, stop limping between two opinions. And every time the gospel light shines, it's like the sun. The sun's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's a bit warm today. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to survive down here. This is, this is beyond the, the maximum temperatures of Scotland. I mean, I'm waiting for some snow to fall in June, I guess. It's... The sun that melts the ice also hardens mud. Not an amazing thing when you think about it. The sun that shines in hard ice, I mean, if somebody throws a block of ice at you, it hurts, doesn't it? It melts. But mud that's gooey and sticky and runny, the sun shining on it hardens it. When the gospel goes out, it has that effect. Do you maybe hear this morning and you think, oh, this Jesus sounds great, but actually I, I, I'm going to leave it later. I, 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 I'm not interested. Beware, friend. Every step you take back from him is a step further away from him. Every step back is a step further away from him as his light shines. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. 
The Pharisees get darker and darker. They reject him with anger and anger. And this man's little candle shines all the brighter. I am blind, but now I see. I love verse 27. Isn't it brilliant? Why do you guys ask me about this again? Do, do you want to become his disciples? I love seeing young Christians, don't you? It's one of the joys of my life when, you, when somebody gets transformed by the goodness of God. And they're deranged, aren't they? In our old church, we had this lady. She was a lady. She was, well, she was a prostitute. And she was a well-known prostitute in Belfast. And she got transformed by the gospel, and she was amazing. The Lord saved her. And my poor pastor, one day he was standing in Belfast High Street, and this lady came running up to him, and she was known. And she goes, oh, pastor, wasn't it a lovely time last night? And he's got, <laughs> she was at the meeting with him, but he was like. <laughs> but she got transformed by the gospel. And what she did, she lived in the street in Belfast. There was one of those cul-de-sacs of about 60 people. She rented a bus. She got this double-decker. How she did it, we never figured out. Maybe, oh, maybe best not asking. She got this double-decker bus, and she packed it full of all her neighbors and brought them to the church. And all these guys arrived. Other, it was brilliant. The joy. The enthusiasm. Isn't it funny that David said in his life, restore to me the joy of my salvation. How many of us have lost the joy of our salvation? How many of us we're Christians. We love the Lord. We know He's the light of the world, but we have, we have let the light dull in our lives. We're saved by grace. We're saved by responding to His love. Remember that big word that you learned in biology class, photosynthesis. Don't ask me how to spell it. It's great. Our teacher just said, just put P slash synthesis. It was brilliant. A plant needs the sun. It needs constant exposure to the light. So do you, brother and sister in Christ. How's your prayers? Don't pray because you have to. Pray because you love him and you want to see him and hear him more in his word. Let the light break out from his word as you read about him there. As we gather together as a family of God, may his light shine in our midst too. That's why it's so important to come to church and something. Not because you have to. Because you want to see the joy of the Lord in your brothers and sisters. You want to worship together and let that light shine into your life. This little light of mine. Like this wee man, let it shine. And it's amazing how as you walk with the Lord, he gives you the words to say. He prompts you in the right ways. And even when you're brought forth, somebody like the Pharisees, you could be cheeky and send their face, do you guys want to be his disciples as well? The transforming power of the gospel, the cost of the gospel, this little light of his, he let it shine in the midst of the Pharisees, and so they cast him out. Isn't it sad that they throw a witness to God out of their midst? I think that's tragic. I don't feel angry at the Pharisees. I feel sad. I feel sad that they missed out. The cost of the gospel, it will cost when God comes into our life and transforms, we will be different. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when the light shines upon us, the veil is taken from our eyes and we see the beauty and the glory of the Lord. But for those who are still blind, they cannot see it and so they don't understand us. And there's a cost with the gospel. I feel it with my family too. I love my family, but now, at the minute, I'm the only Christian in my family, and you feel it when you have conversations. I, and you, brother and sister, I know you guys have family who don't know the Lord as well. Keep loving, keep praying, and keep rooted in the Lord Jesus. He will guide you aright. And remember that he has individual answers for every individual person. Isn't he amazing? And if some of you want to rent a bus, a double-decker bus, and pack the church out, please do that as well. <laughs> Lastly, the transforming power of Jesus, the cost of the gospel, his resolve to let this little light of his shine. One thing I should notice about this text before we get to verse 35 is this. He actually hasn't 
put himself trusting in Jesus fully, yet he doesn't fully know who Jesus is. He's called him a prophet. His light is getting brighter, but it's not there yet. And that's the danger of using testimony sometimes as the gospel. There's a difference between the testimony of God's power in our life, which is absolutely true and beautiful. We need that. But what is saving, what is transforming is the power of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, let's look at verse 35 here, the last part. Jesus heard they cast him out. Isn't that beautiful? His mom and dad have kicked him out. His community has kicked him out. He's had a miracle in his life, and the neighbors have kicked him out. Jesus hasn't kicked him out. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I will always be with you. In the darkest valley. Psalm 23, it's a beautiful psalm. We'll, we'll look at it next week as we do the Good Shepherd. Psalm 23. It actually says we translate it traditionally as when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not quite the original Hebrew. It does cover that. It does cover that. But what it actually says is when you walk through the deepest, darkest valley, which probably is death, but it also covers rejection. In the darkness, it's scary. You're alone. Those valleys in, in Israel where these wadis that the rivers used to run through, they're claustrophobic, they're tight, they're dark, there's dangers lurking in them, thieves, pickpockets. When you walk through the darkest valley, I will never leave you. I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus never lets us go. And even in the heartaches and the hard times and the difficult times and the times when family are angry with us, when friends mock us, when even so-called Christians push us out, Jesus never lets us go. When I fear, my faith will fail. He will hold me fast. That's just a side note. Sorry, Penny, I keep kicking your tambourine there. It's for a wee dramatic effect. He never lets us go. He brings the gospel to him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? That is the heart of the Christian life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? How God will judge us at the end of the age is this. Did you accept Jesus as your Savior or not? That is the fundamental root issue facing humanity. That is the darkness and that is the light. Paul talks about this when we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light by Jesus Christ. By faith we are saved through grace of the Son of God and His work alone. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him. And I love that again, John, John is symbolic here. He recognizes the voice. Chapter 10 next week, we'll look at that. My sheep know my voice. I imagine what it must have been like from seeing Jesus for the first time. He had heard the voice. The voice said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. You'll, be, you'll have your sight. He got his sight. But for the first time, he sees Jesus. And friend, if you're in Christ and you're trusting him this morning, one day you will see Jesus face to face. When I stand in glory, oh, I've forgotten it now. It's kind of rude. I shall see him face to face. What's it going to be like in that day when your faith is made sight? When you see the one who loved you and gave himself for you, who has walked with you, you know his voice at the minute, but we haven't saw him. Peter says this, we, we, we celebrate you because you believe, though you haven't seen him, you love him. I know when I see him face to face in that day, I'm going to have regrets. I'm like, Lord, I wish I'd done more. I mean, you're real. I know he's real. But seeing him face to see in the new heavens and the new earth, as sin is washed away, as all that is bad is, is swept up into his goodness. 
that face, that short, was it the thorn shadow face? By and by, when I see him, that thorn shadow face, I wish I'd given him more. Oh, Christian friend, this morning, the light that shines in you, will you respond to it? Will you pray like you've never prayed? Will you give like you've never given? Not just money, but your time. Will you go out there and with the joyous testimony of the Lord, talk about him? Make a nuisance of yourself. Don't get arrested, please. But you know, make a nuisance of yourself talking about Jesus. This man sees him. Put your trust in me, says Jesus. You've seen him. He is speaking to you. Lord, I believe he is transformed. And then he falls. The word there in your Bibles, verse 38, it says he worshipped him. What it actually is in the original Greek is he prostrated himself before him. He fell down face to face before Jesus, which actually is a beautiful picture of worship, isn't it? He worships. The gospel has transforming power as a real savior who comes to bring real change and hope and forgiveness and salvation in our lives. Through a real gospel, it says, believe in me and you shall be saved. Repent of your sins, take off the darkness with my help and trust me. And it is real in the world. There will be a cost to the gospel. We will feel that cost as we go and bear this message when the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not like it, yet we still shine it. We let this little light of ours shine, and we know in whom we have believed who will never leave us nor forsake us. Christian friends, this morning, continue to trust your Lord and love Him and let His light shine in you and through you. And friend, if you're here this morning and this is the first time you've heard about Jesus, He is good. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes. I'm starting to get his belly. I locked his beard. Charles Spurgeon, he didn't know it. But he preached his last ever sermon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and then six months later he died. It was his last ever sermon. And he finished it with these words. He said, I have never, ever known somebody so kind or served a master so good. When he calls me to carry the cross, the heaviest end of the cross rests on his shoulders. When he bids me walk up a dark mountain path, he goes into the wind and shelters me as he walks with me in the past. Oh, that there is a master like Jesus. Oh, that there is a one who loves us and forgives us like Jesus. Friend, this morning the light is shining into you. Will you respond to him? Will you believe and trust in him, the son of the living God, and follow him? Don't go into the judgment. Don't turn your eyes. Don't be like the ship captain of the USS Enterprise. Don't let your pride blind you to the light that is before you. Repent. Trust him and receive his joy. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are the light of the world. We thank you in the darkness of these days as we see war continue, as we see instability in nations, as we have many reasons actually sometimes to go, what is going on, not only in the world, but perhaps in our own lives. We thank you that there's a light that continues to shine with warmth, with joy, with mercy, with forgiveness, and with power to transform. We are not alone, and we are not forsaken. Lo, the night is dark. I know my Savior has overcome the night. So for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, I pray that this light that shines, you'd remind them of your transforming power that saved them, that keeps them, and that actually that Paul reminds us is available when we pray. We pray to him who could do more than we could think, hope, or imagine according to the power at work within us in the church. 
And so we pray as brothers and sisters in Christ for those in our family who do not know you. Lord, we've witnessed, we've tried, they've seen the gospel in our lives, and we acknowledge sometimes it's hard for family to witness to family. But we know that your transforming power will get the hold of them. And so together we do pray for our unsaved loved ones that they would become part of the family of God too. Pray for those in our midst, Lord. We pray this morning that what I have said will not be unhelpful, but the clarity of your light will shine into their hearts. If they never trusted Jesus, never followed him, oh, this morning, Lord, grant them the gift of salvation. You are good, and the gifts you bring are good to us. So many know the goodness of God. We thank you we've gathered as a church family. We pray your blessing on us for the rest of the day and as we go into this week. And we pray for those who are not with us, Lord, that you would bless them today too in their travels and all the things that they're doing. May they know the joy of the Lord as their strength. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.